following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, we are uh, continuing our study in First Timothy with chapter 1 this morning, uh, verses 12 through 17, and that's page nine nine one in the Pew Bibles, and I would encourage you to turn there with me, um, and don't just uh, rely on a screen, though it's there if you need it, um, but uh, uh, it's funny, as I was preparing this week um, to speak to you this morning, um, I asked the Lord uh, to use me to communicate His Word uh, to you. Uh, though, like I often do, but uh, to use me, though I am a broken vessel, um, like a cracked putt, uh, as it were. Um, yeah, uh, and and to prove once again the Lord's sense of humor, uh, even in communicating this truth. Imagine my surprise when um, uh, when it started to become clear in studying this text that. It has, uh, it has to do with remembering, um, and more specifically, remembering to remember. Uh, what was I saying? Um, yeah, this is always a challenge for me, uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful truth this morning. So let's look at First Timothy one twelve through seventeen, and we'll pray. I thank him, thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted in ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Mm. Father, we know that you have wonderful uh, things for us in your word this morning. Even the smallest thing is your truth and could very well change our lives. So we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would mess us up for your glory that we would see your truth this morning and change the way we think and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Mm. Lord, we entrust this work to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. It is not, um, it's not to be forgotten that the Christian faith is a faith of remembering. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, there are thousands of examples of God's reminders 
to his people. Um, Forty-two times in the Old Testament, God reminded his people who he was, saying, I am the Lord your God. Many times he added the phrase, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Just in case you forgot, I'll remind you again. God wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone with his own finger, right? So that they would not forget them. So that people would not forget. He established the feast so that people would be reminded annually what God had done for them. Uh, in our day, the rainbow has been uh, taken over by other people and other meaning. But God invented the rainbow to remind us and remind also himself that he would not destroy uh, the world again with a flood. And that's what he said. He commanded Moses to have the people put tassels on their robes so that they would remember the Lord's commandments. 133 times the word remember is used in the Old Testament, and most of which were commands to remember the Lord and remember what he commanded. It's handy having Bible study software. You don't think I flipped through and counted them all, right? <laughs> My computer took care of that for me. And in New Testament, Jesus gave us the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, communion, to do in remembrance of him. Remember? 1 Corinthians 11 says, The Lord Jesus on the night he, when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We celebrate Easter to remember Christ's birth. We celebrate Easter to remember his resurrection. Are you getting the idea? You're tracking with me here? All right. So what are we challenged to remember, to remember in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17? Well, there's a few things. The first thing I think is to remember the once and the now of God's amazing grace. The old song says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Look at verse 12. Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. It's a whole sermon right there, but I won't go into it. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. The Apostle Paul is scripture's extreme example of God's amazing grace. His once was worse than anybody else in the book. And his now is amazing, uh, the way God used him. 
Uh, let me tell you what I'm talking about, if you don't know already. In Acts chapter 80, verse 3, the Apostle Paul was known as Saul. That was his Hebrew name. He didn't get a name change. He just was hanging out with Greek people. And the way they said Saul was Paul. So, anyway, he's described as ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison for simply following the Lord Jesus. This is what he did. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Saul is described as still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogue so that if he found any Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem to be in prison. This is Saul. He was a blasphemer. That means he defamed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was trying to destroy the church. He was a persecutor. He was a violent aggressor against the church. He tried to wipe it out. He was an insolent opponent. He was arrogant in his zeal, thinking that he had it right and that he was on God's side and God was on his side and the disciples of Christ were all wrong and needed to be stubbed. And as vile as that might sound to us, he was convinced that he was doing the right thing. He thought that he was acting on God's behalf. That doesn't happen today, does it? He acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, when we call someone ignorant nowadays, it means something a little different. We think it's mean as stupid. That guy's ignorant. We, we mean that person is stupid. But that's not what ignorant really means. It's uneducated. He didn't know. He didn't know what he was doing. He acted ignorantly in unbelief. He was unaware of the truth of the gospel. And in his zeal for God, he tried to destroy the church, to silence the message of Jesus. But, as verse 13 says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I like the translation that says, uh, though I am the chief and principal of all sinners, the worst there ever was. The Apostle Paul A scripture's extreme example of a forgiven sinner remembered who he really was before God. And in his humility, he gives the clear and simple gospel and how he relates to it and how it relates to him. When he says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'm not sure that I have the words to paint the picture of just how bad Saul was. Like, do you, do you get that if, if Saul, not Paul, Saul, before he met the Lord Jesus, came here 
into this room today, he would have us all arrested with the authority that he had then. He would have us all bound and carried off from our homes, leave our family behind, burn this building to the ground, and silence the work of the gospel here in West Usby. I'm not sure this, the, I'm not sure we understand or can understand there's no parallel to our time of, of someone that's trying to do the work that Paul was doing and thinking they're doing it for God. Um, he, like, he's the bad guy, like for real, not imaginary. He was the worst kind of bad guy. He makes any, I just don't have the words. It's bad. We'll, we'll go with that. Tried to destroy the church. Not just was a jerk, was unneighborly, used bad language, right? He wasn't, he wasn't a drunkard, he wasn't an adulterer, he wasn't any of those things. He tried to destroy God's church. His once was pretty bad. Way worse than ours. But we must also remember with Paul our own once and our own now. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. No matter how lost we were, no matter how blind we were, through faith in Jesus Christ, as a result of what Paul called the overflowing grace of our Lord, with faith and love in Christ Jesus, we were found. And now we can see. I think that it's important for us to remember that and not forget how far we have come, how far the Lord has brought us by His grace. You know, we're not here today uh, saved by faith in Christ and joined together with this wonderful family because we deserve it. We're not. If you think you are, you have some confessions to make. You don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. This is God's grace that has brought us together, put us in this place, gave us a place in God's eternal kingdom through faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't struggle. It doesn't mean we won't be tempted. It doesn't mean that at times we won't fail. Now, those of you who know me well know I'm kind of a word nerd about this things, these things. But look at the sentence. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul doesn't say, does it say I was the foremost? He says I am the foremost. See, we're still going to struggle with sin. We're still going to be tempted. We're still going to fail and to fall. The struggle with sin in his life continues. The struggle with sin in our lives continues. His struggle is over because he's dead. But we're not. We continue to struggle. Though we are, in reality, dead to sin, it still cries out for us. And claws at us. But sin is not our master. We are no longer slaves to sin. When we sin, it's because we choose it. 
Sin is a choice for the Christian. And we no longer act in ignorance. If we sin now, listen to me, if we sin now, we sin because we want to, not because we have to. And that's a very dangerous and destructive place to be. And that brings us to the second thing that we are challenged to remember, to remember. There are three points to this sermon. You know how much I love that. It just worked out that way. The second thing we're challenged to remember, to remember, is we must remember that our, uh, just as our choices to sin affect others, we are also not the only ones affected by our faith in Jesus. Our salvation affects more than just us. I think this is a wonderful truth. Look at verse 16. Because, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is not thinking about what's right in front of him. He's thinking about the people who will believe down the road. J.P. Lang wrote, Paul stood before the eyes of all after generations as a witness to the power, the grace, and the love of the Lord so that the greatest sinners need not doubt God's grace. The reason we have Paul as an example as the worst the chief, the foremost, and principal of all sinners, at least a scripture's example, is that those of us who have never tried to destroy Christ's church before, you know, we've probably made, made some bad choices, done some shameful things, but we don't need to doubt God's grace. If God could save Paul, he could save us. That's the point here. Instructions are great. We can read the instruction manual. But oftentimes, we need examples. We need people. We need to see it done uh, before our eyes. God, in his amazing grace, could forgive the guy who tried to single-handedly wipe out Christ's church off the face of the earth. He can certainly forgive you. Paul recognized that his own salvation had a profound effect on other people. That the fact that God would save him, regardless of what he had done, regardless of who he once was, would be an encouragement and an example to anyone else who might believe in Jesus for eternal life. So I want to ask you, think for a moment. Have you ever considered the effect that your salvation has or has had on other people? not just yourself? You ever wonder, you ever wonder why God saved you? Not just because why would he save someone like me, but why did he save you? Has the reason you've come up with, has ever, has it ever had anything to do with anyone else beside yourself? God, why did you save me? I'm such a jerk. Well, it's, there's more than just because he loves you. Yes, God saved you because he loves you. He saved you because of his amazing grace. But it's not just about you. What I mean is God saved Paul through faith in Jesus Christ so that Timothy's mother and grandmother could be saved. Do you know that? 
Paul was a preacher, preached the gospel. Timothy's mother and grandmother, they came to faith and raised this boy, Timothy, in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. God saved Timothy's mother and grandmother so that Timothy could be saved. God saved Eunice Vincent and David Larson and Frank and Elaine Packard and Dave and Jody Keniston so that I could be saved. Our salvation has a profound effect on more than just ourselves. God saved me so that those who hear and receive the gospel through me could be saved. You are saved so that others who hear the gospel through you could be saved. We are saved so that other people can be saved too. Don't forget that. You're not a dead end for the gospel. You're not a dead end for faith in Christ Jesus. Remember to remember that others were saved that so that you could be saved and that you were saved so that still others could be saved, could know the love of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This gives purpose to our lives, doesn't it? We don't exist just to make widgets or, or work a job so that you can buy food and have a house or whatever and growled and die, and that's it. We exist for so much more. This is the organic nature of the gospel. This is God's design, that people would hear about the Lord Jesus through you. They would see him alive in your life and mine. Well... So point number three, so that you know we're coming to a close. As you say. And finally, let's remember to remember to respond to the amazing grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, just as Paul did. That if the Lord Jesus could save a sinner like Paul, he could save a sinner like me, to save a sinner like you, then he can certainly save others through Paul, through you, through me. We might be broken vessels, but we can still carry the gospel. And it might leak out through our cracks, but that's the whole idea. We must remember to remember to respond to the grace of God through our declarations of his love and forgiveness, we must respond with praise and worship. Paul blows up in praise, verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This should be our response. Our response of praise and worship. Not just, oh, God, why did you save me? Ugh. God saved even me! Woo! He can do it for you. He can do it for all the jerks that live in this town. Right? No one is beyond God's saving grace. Amen? Amen. Well, let's respond the way Paul did in praise and worship. Let's stand together. We pray and we we'll shout our praises to God. Well, sing our praises. We don't want to get out of control here. Let's pray together. Oh, our Father God, immortal, invisible, the only God, 
God only wise, may glory and honor and power be unto your name, both now and forevermore. We can't thank you enough for your amazing grace that would save sinners even like us, even like Paul. Lord, we pray that you would use the salvation that you have offered to us to save others, that we'd not be a dead-end street, but we would carry the truth of your love, your salvation to those around us. May people come to know the love of the Lord Jesus through us because they see Jesus alive in us. God, we can't ever thank you enough, but I pray that as a thank you, we would be active in sharing our faith and telling people about you. Hmm. Lord, I thank you so much for the history, for the genealogy of your saints over the years. Made it all the way from the Paul's proclamation of the gospel all the way here to West Ossipee, New Hampshire. Mm. God, we thank you for your amazing grace. You are wonderful and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.